We serve an awesome God, don't we? All right, church, need you to grab those Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, please bring one with you next time around. In the meantime, please grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you if you don't have your own with you. And if you're using one of those blue Bibles, you'll find James chapter 1, verse 5 on page 1196. So today we're diving once again into James chapter 1. Last week we began our brand new message series going verse by verse through this wonderful, practical, powerful, challenging book of the Bible, the book of James. And we saw last week that the theme of this short letter that James wrote, just five chapters in this book, just five chapters in this letter, the theme is grow up and live out your faith in the real world. Amen? It's the theme of this book. Grow up and live out your faith in the real world. And we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 2, that one of the ways that we grow up in our faith, one of the ways that we mature, one of the ways we become more and more like Jesus is to go through trials. Amen? All three of you, wonderful. We go through trials. Amen? Yeah, we may not be excited about them, but Christian, if God has put you in a trial, whether it's that eviction notice that you get, uh, whether it's getting fired from a job or failing a midterm or having a health diagnosis that completely scares you to death, whatever that trial is that you may be going through, gentlemen, would you agree that God has called you to put on your big boy britches and persevere in that trial? Amen, fellas? And ladies, if, if you are going through a trial, whatever that may be, maybe it is a health issue, maybe it's a child who's going off the deep end and, and making some terrible choices, maybe it's a husband that says, I don't love you anymore, whatever it is, ladies, the trial you're going through, you know that God has called you to put on your big girl bloomers and to persevere through that trial and learn patience and perseverance and strength in the midst of that. Just like the $6 million man, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our crisis, God can make you better than you were before. Better, stronger, and faster. Amen? That's what God can do. That's what God can do in the trial. Now, you clap for that now. When that trial comes, you may not clap so much. But God is teaching us in this wonderful chapter, James chapter 1, what we are to do when those trials come, because God truly does have a purpose in the pain. He is always working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you'll let him, God will work through your temporary pain for your eternal good, for the good of those around you, and for his glory. That's why James says in verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, of many kinds. Well, we're going to pick up in verse 5 today of chapter 1. James is going to teach us some vital lessons about wisdom in the midst of our trials. I'm calling today's message, Look Up Even in the Darkest Storms. So we're in James chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 5 in just a moment. Would you join me first in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. And Lord, our, our body is not quite complete today with so many of our youth gone, but we thank you that they were able to go to camp this weekend. And right now, Lord, before we dive into this message, we want to pray that you would be with the, the, the pastor who's speaking into their lives right now in that final session of this weekend. Lord, as he's speaking right now, would you anoint his words? Would you speak through him? And I pray that you would anoint the ears of each of those teenagers and their adult leaders that are in the room in that chapel up at Angelus Crest Camp. 
And Lord, I pray that hearts that are hard would be softened. Those that maybe rejected the call to accept Christ earlier in the weekend, we pray that they would before they head down the hill. Lord, we want those teens to have a mountaintop experience and come down that mountain changed this afternoon. Lord, keep them safe, but most of all, draw them unto Christ. And we can't wait to hear those reports that they bring of what you did. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. If you're there, please say amen. Here we go. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances might ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Now, when we are going through trials, sometimes one of the most difficult questions to ask and answer is, why? Why? Why am I going through this trial? Why do I have to have this pain? Why me? And no good neighbor that lives next door to me, why doesn't he have to deal with this instead of me? Why me, God? It's a common question we ask when we're going through the trial. And so, you know, when we go through a trial, I hope that you press in on Jesus Christ even more than you do when you're not going through a trial. How many of you talk to God every day? How many of you have a prayer life? You pray every day. And maybe it's just a quick little prayer you lift up. Maybe it's before meals. Maybe it's before bed or right when you get up in the morning. But every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ should be talking to God throughout the day. That's why we say pray without ceasing. That's biblical. We should be praying throughout the day. But when the trial comes, the tendency is to back off and not pray as much. We should do quite the opposite, right? Instead of praying less, when the trial comes, we should pray more. And so when the trial comes and you pray more, let me ask you, what is it you pray for when you're dealing with that pain? When you're dealing with that suffering, when you're going through that trial, what is it that you pray for? What do you pray for? Well, Warren Wearsby tells a story of a secretary that worked for him years ago. And the secretary was getting up there in in age, and one day she had a stroke. And so it took her several weeks and months to bounce back from that stroke and be able to get back to doing most of what she had done before. But meanwhile, as she's healing from that stroke, her husband goes blind. And after going blind one day, he's rushed to the hospital. His health is failing rapidly. And she knows that she probably will never bring him home from that hospital. He's down to just a matter of days. And he's going to pass from this life and enter eternity. And so Warren Wearsby saw this dear woman of God at church one Sunday. And he went up to her. He made a point of approaching her. And he said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And her reply really surprised Wearsby. You know what she said? When he said, I'm praying for you, she said to him, What is it that you're praying for? What have you asked God to do? 
And Wearsby was a little taken aback, but he said, well, I've asked God to help you and, and to strengthen you. And her response was amazing. She said, thank you, I, I appreciate that. But could you please ask God for one more thing? Could you please ask him this? Pray that I'll have the wisdom to not waste all that I'm going through. Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. Wow. What an amazing, remarkable thing to ask for. Is it okay to ask God to give you help during your trial? Sure. Is it okay to ask God to give you strength during your trial? Absolutely. Is it okay to ask God to to maybe help speed things up so your trial can be over as soon as possible? I think that's even fine. But we shouldn't forget what possibly is the most important prayer we could ever pray during our trial and during our valleys. Father God, give me the wisdom so that I don't waste all of this. Because there is a purpose to my pain. There is a reason a loving God has allowed this to come my way. Even though he may not have personally brought it, he for some reason is allowing it. And so God, whatever it is you're doing, whatever you're trying to teach me, whatever growth you need to see in me before this trial comes to an end, please give me wisdom so that I don't squander this opportunity I have to become more like Jesus. James writes in verses 5 and 6, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Friends, when trials come, spend lots of time talking to God. Amen? Spend lots of time talking to God. Take time to pray. Take time to fast and pray. And by all means, make sure that you pray for God's wisdom so that you won't waste your trial. Ask God for wisdom. Ask Him because He is the source of all wisdom. It's often been said, knowledge is the ability to take things apart, while wisdom is the ability to put things together. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Let's talk turkey for a moment here. You're going through a trial. No matter what that trial is, I guarantee you there will be plenty of people around you that are more than capable of kicking you while you're down. Did you know that? When you are going through a trial, no matter what trial it is, you'll find plenty of people that criticize you and say it's your own darn fault. That may be true, but that's not exactly what you need to hear. When you're going through a trial and your life feels like it's in a thousand different pieces, there are plenty of people around you who have the knowledge to take the thousand pieces of your broken life and break them into 5,000 pieces. You don't need your thousand pieces broken into 5,000, do you? That takes some knowledge. Some people are excellent at kicking you while you're down. Some people are very knowledgeable about saying the exact wrong thing at the wrong time. We all have family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, individuals in our lives that are very knowledgeable about making us feel like crap. Let's be honest. But God is quite a bit different, isn't he? When we're in the middle of that trial and it feels like those thousand different pieces in our lives could never be put back together again, 
God is the one with the wisdom to put all those pieces back together. In fact, God is the source of perfect wisdom, so he specializes in coming into the lives of those of us in the midst of chaos and taking our brokenness and putting it back into something beautiful again. God specializes in putting broken people back together again. Maybe you're here today and you're a broken person. And I'm so thankful that something inside of you said, go to church today. Maybe some of you are here today and this is the last place you wanted to be. Maybe someone drug you here today. But for whatever reason you're here, I thank you for coming. Because I'm here to tell you that the God who created you has a plan for your life that's perfect and whole. And no matter what chaos you're dealing with, no matter what kind of mess or trial you're dealing with, he truly does have the wisdom and the will to help you put it back together as you lean on him. Amen? That's the good God that we serve. So ask for wisdom. But James makes it clear in verses 6 and 7 that when we ask God for wisdom, we need to ask in faith, right? We need to ask in faith. Say that with me. We need to ask in We need to ask in, tell the person next to you, we need to ask in faith. Go ahead and tell them. Amen. We need to ask in faith. Do you know what the greatest enemy to answered prayer is? The greatest enemy to answered prayer is unbelief. Unbelief. As James tells us in verse 7, if you pray to God for something but don't really believe he's going to give it to you, then you're not going to get it. Sometimes we wonder, why didn't God answer my prayer? Maybe because you didn't believe he was going to answer it in the first place. It's the greatest barrier to answered prayer is unbelief. Do you know what the second greatest barrier to answered prayer is? It's close to unbelief. I'd say it's doubt. What James is talking about also here in these verses. Doubt. James calls the man who prays with doubt a double-minded man. I like how the Holman Christian Standard Translation translates this Greek term that is translated as double-minded in the NIV. The Holman Christian Standard translates that Greek word as indecisive. The indecisive man should not think that he should receive anything from the Lord. Now that kind of hits close to home with me because my wife can tell you there are areas of my life where I am incredibly indecisive. How many of you have ever eaten at the Cheesecake Factory? Okay. Come on, more than that, I'm sure. Good restaurant. Okay. If you decide to take me out to lunch someday, Let me give you a little bit of advice. Do not invite me to the Cheesecake Factory. They have a 30-page menu. And I will literally sit there with that menu in my hand for a half an hour trying to figure out what I want to eat for that meal. There are too many choices. If you want to take me out to lunch and have that lunch over with in a reasonable amount of time, invite me to In-N-Out. They got like five things on the menu. You know, I can't be indecisive at in and out. Do I want a burger or a cheeseburger? Uh, duh. You know, that's not too hard for me. There are areas of my life where I am incredibly indecisive. But I hope that one of those indecisive areas is never my faith. I trust God today, and I trust Him tomorrow, and I'm going to trust Him next week and next month and next year. There's nothing to be indecisive about that. But sometimes we're indecisive, James says, in this area of prayer requests. We believe God, but then we don't believe God. We believe Him, and then we don't believe Him. And I love how one of the commentaries pointed out this simple distinction between faith and unbelief and doubt. It goes like this. Faith says, yes. Unbelief says, no. And doubt says, yes, one minute, 
and know the next. That kind of, that's kind of a simple overview, isn't it? I like that. It made a lot of sense to me. Uh, belief says yes. Unbelief says no. Doubt says yes. And then the next minute says no. And so when we think about prayer, we can't be in that place of unbelief where we don't think God's going to do it. And when we talk about prayer, we can't be even in that place of doubt where we believe God one moment and don't believe him the next. Either believe him or don't. You know, sometimes we see examples of Christians in Scripture that deal with this doubt and they suffer some consequences. One of the greatest examples is Peter. Peter walked on water, didn't he? Peter walked on water temporarily. Why did Peter walk on water temporarily? Because he believed in Christ temporarily. He believed in Christ temporarily. He looked to Christ temporarily, and so he walked on water temporarily. If he'd kept his eyes focused on Jesus, if he'd kept believing in Jesus, he never would have sank, well, right? But he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He deals with that doubt. He deals with some unbelief. He starts sinking. He says, Lord, help me. And so Jesus gently brought him up. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Sometimes we're just like Peter. But don't be doubters. When you pray for wisdom, trust God. When you pray for wisdom, believe that God will give it to you. He promises he will. Amen? He promises he will. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. I love that verse. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. They aren't yes and no and yes and no and maybe today and not tomorrow. That almost rhymed. Uh, they're all yes in Jesus Christ. Amen? They're yes in Christ. All of his promises. So let me ask you, when you ask God for wisdom, will he give it to you? And the answer is, if you believe, yes. When you pray for God's insight and believe that he'll give it to you, will he? Absolutely, yes. When you ask God to help you grow and mature and learn what he wants you to learn during your trial, will he do it? And all God's people say, absolutely, he will. So believe that he will. Now, last Sunday, I mentioned to you that the historical backdrop of the book of James was a period of class warfare. The rich in Israel were griping and fighting against the poor in Israel, and the poor were harboring resentment against the rich. And so you had this class warfare going on that unfortunately had seeped into the Christian church. And so James addresses at times in these five chapters the rich and the poor. The first time he does that is here in verses 9 through 11. A bottom line, he says, whether you're poor or you're rich, God does not want you to look down. He wants you to look up. Rich guy, don't be looking down at all your nice stuff because one day all your nice stuff is going to pass away, right? You can't take it with you. You've probably heard it a lot of times. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. And so don't look down. Look up. And if you're a poor guy and you're wasting your time looking down at all the rich guy's stuff and a little jealous and you're harboring resentment because you should have more stuff like he has, stop wasting your time, poor fellow, looking at the rich guy's stuff because it'll pass away. He can't take it with him. And so, rich guy, look up. Poor guy, look up. Regardless of what your income may be or how many things you might own, always look up instead of looking down. The stuff of this world will pass away. So here in these verses, verses 5 through 11, James gives us the first secret to turning our trials into triumphs. Instead of looking down at our problems, we look up to God. 
asking him for wisdom. We're going to look at three secrets here in this passage today. That's the first of those. Instead of looking down at our problems, instead of looking down at all the stuff of this world that will one day all burn, we look up and ask God for wisdom. Amen? Starting in verse 12, we're going to find the second insight for how to persevere through trials and how to see our trials turn into triumphs. In verse 12, he writes, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has prepared for those who love him. That's one of my favorite verses in this first chapter. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Some of you may remember that I've mentioned to you in the past that that word blessed can be translated as happy. It's not a bad translation. That's part of what that word blessed means in the original Greek. And so it means happy, it means blissful, it means fortunate. So as you persevere in faith and obedience, you will receive the crown of life, James says. And no doubt, when you receive that crown of life someday, that'll put a big old smile on your face. Amen? You're going to be smiling ear to ear when you get that crown of life. It's going to be so awesome. It's like, woohoo! I made it! I persevered. It was hard while it lasted there on earth, but I persevered. And God has given me that crown of life. What a wonderful thing. But remember this word blessed means so much more than just happy. I had a a dear college professor in Bible college teach me this. And those of you who have known me for a while, you've heard me say this before. That word blessed, he taught us, also means buoyed up. Buoyed up. And I love that beautiful description of the word blessed. It takes me back to my childhood when I was a kid. My dad had a beat-up old uh, uh, boat, and we would take it out on the lakes not too far from our house, whether it was Lake Castaic or Lake Piru or some of those not too far from uh, the I-5. And so we'd go out on the lake and go water skiing in the summertime. And one thing I like to do is to look at those buoys out there in the water that separated the swimming area from the boating area to keep everybody all safe. And I'd like to swim out to those buoys and crawl on top of one and try to push it under the surface. And if it was a little too buoyant, I'd get my buddy to join me and he'd swim out there and the two of us would climb on top of this thing and try to push it under the surface. And what would inevitably happen every single time? It pops right back up. And once it pops up, it pops up with a vengeance, doesn't it? You push it down, man, it comes up with a fury. And once we swim away, it's just as buoyant, sticking up out of that water just as far as before we piled onto it. Nothing can keep a good buoy down. And that reminds me of this wonderful word blessed because the same could be said of Christians who persevere through trials. Those who persevere with Jesus Christ on their side cannot be kept down by those trials. You see, every day people around us drown in their trials. Many drown as they give up on their marriages. Others drown as they give up looking for work. Others drown as they walk away from the church. Sadly, others drown as they take their own lives. There are all these trials that we face in life, and these trials so often drown people who are not following the Lord, but not God's people. God's people who persevere under trial. God's people who joyfully and stubbornly hold on to the conviction that God is at work in this trial, and God is maturing me in this trial, and God will see me through this trial, and God will give me a crown of life after this trial. These persevering kinds of Christians are buoyed up, And can't be kept down. They cannot be drowned by those trials no matter what they are. Christians who are persevering in their faith, clinging on to Jesus Christ, cannot drown 
in any trial that comes their way. Jesus Christ will see to it that we persevere. Amen? Go ahead. I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be buoyed up so, so much that no trial can take me under and keep me there. And I hope you do too. Here in James 1.12, James gives us the second secret to turning trials into triumphs. Instead of looking down at our problems, we look ahead to the reward that awaits us if we persevere. Amen? We look ahead to the reward that awaits us. A lot of you know I like to jog, and I like to jog long distances. I was kind of puny with my running this last week, but two weeks ago I ran 19 miles during the week. And my longest, well, thank you. I didn't mean, didn't mean for you to clap, but thank you anyway. Uh, when I go on these longer runs, it's really, really important that I pick some points in the distance that I can see, and I run for that point. Because most of the time when I'm on a longer run, I can't see my house. I can't see the finish line. So I, I choose these benchmarks, these little milestones along the way. And so if I'm feeling tired, if my lungs start feeling a little tight, I can pick that distance uh, just a little ways out there that I know I can reach, and I persevere and I cross that point. And then once I get across that point, I pick another distance, another point in the distance out there, and I run for that point. I will say, you know what, here's a little of the finish line. And it's kind of like that in life. God will say, you know what, here's a little milestone for you. Here's a little benchmark along the way. Persevere and press on toward that little mini goal. And you press on toward that, and then he puts another one out in front of you. And eventually you will see that finish line when Jesus Christ will be waiting for you and saying, Come on, you're almost there. You're almost there. Just a little bit further. Just a little bit further. And we cross that finish line. We get the crown of life. And every bit of pain, every trial we went through in this life for Jesus Christ is going to be so worth it. And so God wants you to press forward toward the goal. I love how Paul says it in Philippians 3. Verses 12 through 15, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature, he says, should take such a view of things. I memorized that, those verses in high school, and I've tried to never forget them. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Oh, Christian, when those trials come, the tendency is to stay focused like this and just allow those trials to envelop us and get us down and cause us to lose sleep and cause us to get the pits in our stomach and that worry and that concern and that fear and that trepidation. But God says, first of all, take your eyes off of the trials down here and look up to me and ask me for wisdom. And number two, as you take your eyes off of the stuff and the problems, don't just look up to me and ask for wisdom, but look ahead to the finish line because one day you will cross it for the glory of God and you'll see that anything you went through that was not fun in this life was well worth it because God will make sure that he rewards you well for anything that you suffer for him. So look up and look ahead. And finally, as we get to these last verses we'll look at today in verses 13 through 18, James will tell us the third secret to turning trials into triumphs. And it goes like this. Look around and see the goodness of your God. 
Look around and see the goodness of your God. James 1, starting in verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. James has been spending the better part of the first 12 verses teaching us the proper way to respond to trials. Amen? And here in verse 13, James makes a shift and he begins talking about temptations. Now, let me ask you, is there a difference between a trial and a temptation? The answer is yes. But something kind of interesting here, the original Greek language that James was written in, the word that's translated as trial is the same word that's translated as temptation. So if trial and temptation come from the same word, how can we say that the two are different? The answer is we can say the two are different because of context. The way that word is used determines whether it should be translated as trial or temptation. And so it boils down to this. Trials are tests that come from the outside, and God uses them to build us up. Temptations are tests that come from the inside, and Satan uses them to tear us down. See the difference? Context determines if it's a trial or a temptation. If it comes from the outside and God is using it to build you up, it's a trial. If it comes primarily from the inside and Satan is using it to tear you down, then it's a temptation. James wants us to understand that temptations are never from God. God can't be tempted. And he never tempts anyone. He's a holy God. He doesn't dabble in sin. God loves you. And he wants to build you up. He wants to see you become more like Christ. So why on earth would he send you a temptation to tear you down and pull you away from Christ? You see, if you persevere in trials, you receive that crown of life. Because God is concerned with your life. Satan is more concerned with your death. And so temptations will always pull you toward death. God's trials pull you toward life. God does not tempt anyone. So is God the source of our temptations? No. So who is the source of our temptations? Okay. Our first answer would probably be Satan, right? And there's certainly some truth to that. Over in James chapter 4, verse 7, James writes, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so the source of our temptations, we tend to think it's the devil, right? The devil made me do it. Don't blame me. The devil made me do it. But you know that the devil is not omnipresent. That's a fancy way of saying he can't be everywhere at the same time. So with like 7 billion people on the planet, the devil doesn't have enough time in his day to babysit you. The devil doesn't have enough time in his day to babysit me. And so James points out so truthfully here in verse 14 More times than not, the source of your temptations is you. Well, that's not the nice, rosy answer we wanted to hear, is it? That's not a touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy kind of answer, but it's true. 
More times than not, the source of your temptation is you. More times than not, the source of my temptations is me. Each of us has an old nature living inside of us that constantly battles against our new godly nature. And that old nature loves to drag us into sin, doesn't it? How many of you can attest to that? My old nature, it's a wicked booger, and it likes to drag me into sin. It likes to tempt me. When we as Christians speak of enemy number one, we normally are referring to Satan. But based on these verses in James, it might be more accurate to say, you know what? Satan is enemy number two. It might be more accurate to say for Christians, enemy number one is actually our old nature. More times than not, we tempt ourselves. So when you're going through a trial, keep your guard up. Because when God gives you a trial to make you stronger and better and faster, when God gives you a trial to make you more like Jesus, your old nature will come around on the inside and try to take that trial and turn it into a temptation. You with me on that? The old nature will try to take that trial God designed for good and twist it and make it a temptation designed for your destruction. Let's give a few examples. God may allow a financial hardship to come your way. And he may allow that financial hardship to come to teach you to manage your finances his way. Why? Because his ways will be a lot better for you in the long run. If you are managing your own finances and ignoring God's way of doing it, your financial management in all likelihood is financial mismanagement. And so God may allow some financial hardship to come your way to teach you to do things his way because in the long run it's much better for you. And when that happens, your old nature might tempt you to put God on the back burner and lie and cheat and steal to get your finances back in order. It's almost income tax time, isn't it? Some of you will be tempted to lie and cheat and steal with your income tax filing to get yourself out of a financial mess. That's the old nature saying, look at this mess you're in. I've got a shortcut for you. Go with my way, not God's way. You Don't worry about God. He'll be there for you later. But you just push him aside and do things my way. And what will that end up in? It'll end up in destruction, won't it? It doesn't work too well. Uh, you see how that works. Well, sometimes we're dealing with an illness. And if we're dealing with an illness, God may allow that illness to come your way to teach you patience and perseverance. But your old nature will tempt you to respond by being angry at God and being bitter toward God. So we have to be so careful when that trial comes. God intends it for good. Your old nature will try to twist it and use it as a temptation to pull you away from God. So when those trials come, don't stare at the problems. Look up and pray for wisdom. When the trials come, don't stare at your problems. Look ahead to your heavenly reward. And when those trials and problems come, don't stare at your problems. Look around and see how very good that God has been to you. James says that so clearly in verses 16 and 17. Look at those verses with me again. They're still in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Oh, I think I may have read that wrong. Uh, most uh, good and perfect gifts are from above, right? Uh, 95% of gifts that are good and perfect are from above. Uh, all but a few good and perfect gifts are from above, right? No, I, I think it does say every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us, give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Aren't those marvelous verses? Friends, our old sinful nature sometimes uh, dangles a, a tempting carrot of, of temptation in front of us. 
Sometimes that old nature will dangle that carrot and it looks so good. But our sinful nature never will give us a gift, will it? Because whatever the sinful nature dangles in front of you, and it seems so attractive, it seems so good, it seems so easy, it seems so free, but the sinful nature never gives you a gift because if you take hold of it, it will cost you dearly. Satan, same thing. Sometimes he'll dangle a little carrot in front of you. It looks so good. It looks so free. It looks so wonderful. But Satan never gives gifts because if you take hold of what he offers you, you will pay for it dearly. And if you pay for it dearly, it ain't a gift, right? If you're paying for it, it's not a gift. And so the sinful nature and Satan like to team up together to give us things that give the facade of a good gift, but they actually end up bringing destruction and death. But God, James tells us, is the real giver of real good gifts. Amen? His gifts are always good. His gifts are always perfect. In fact, James says that every good and perfect gift is from God. So no matter what you're going through, open your eyes, look up, and ask for God's wisdom. No matter what, no matter what you're going through, don't just look down. Uh, look ahead to that reward that God has for you at the finish line. And no matter what you're going through, look around and see how good God has been to you. Could you do something uh, for me right now? Just hold up one hand in front of your face. Do that for just, not like this. You know, I, I need you to be able to see it. Just hold it out there in front of you. Uh, can you can you do this? Isn't that an amazing thing? That, that hand can, can close and open. What a remarkable thing. Can, can you do this with your hand? How many of you can do this? Some of you are thinking, I've got a bad hand. I'm doing this and nothing sounds like. So your hand can go like this. It can go like this. It can go like this in circles and even backwards in this direction. Your hand can point. It can give the Christian bird. Christian bird is okay when you get mad at someone. Christian bird's okay. It can wave. The hand does all sorts of remarkable things. Have you ever thought God thanked God for your hand? What a remarkable thing. That is a good and beautiful gift from God. Look at the clothes. Go ahead and look down. The pants, the dress ladies, hopefully just ladies, uh, shirt you're wearing, shoes. Those are keeping you nice and warm today, aren't they? And if I do say so myself, you're looking pretty good in those clothes, folks. You're looking good. They keep you warm. They're they're looking nice on you today. Those clothes are a good gift from God. Look at the person next to you. Go ahead. I promise you'll be okay. Go ahead and look at them. God has given you that wonderful person to sit next to in church today. Isn't that pretty cool? Poor Christine. Okay, let me come over here. God's gift. Okay, there we go. Isn't that a good thing? She's not so sure. Okay. But God has given you that wonderful person next to you. Look around. What a beautiful school that God's blessed us with. The newest school in Victorville we get to meet each week, surrounded by all these homes and these neighbors that we get to invite to join us to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And many will come to a saving knowledge of him in the months to come. What a wonderful opportunity. Did you come today in a car? Thank God for that car he's given you that got you here in one piece. Amen. Do you have a home to go home to today? What a blessing. As you look down, do you have some meat on your bones? You might, you might think you have a little bit too much meat on your bones, but the bottom line is no one here is skin and bones because this is evidence of good food that you've been eating. 
Just don't eat too much of the good food. Amen. And so God has given you sustenance to eat. He's given you food to eat. He's given you water to drink. He's given you a home to go home to. He's given you a car to drive. He's given you eyes to see and ears to hear and a mouth to speak. He's given you the person next to you, the chair to sit on, this wonderful building where we can worship him. He's given you the very word of God that many millions around the world do not have access to. God has been so good. And so the old nature, when the trial comes, will get you to focus on all the crud in front of you and focus on your problems and focus on your trial and your suffering and your pain. And God says, no, 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 no. I've called you to look up and see that I am there ready for you to ask me for wisdom. And I will give it to you to give you insight in the midst of your trial. And when the trial is there, no, don't be looking down. Look ahead because there is a finish line. There will be a purpose to the pain. You will cross that finish line as you persevere in Christ. You will make it, and I guarantee you will look back and say, every bit of that pain was well worth it because the reward far surpasses any suffering we deal with in this life. And God says, as you're looking at the problems, no, 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 look around and see how very good I have been to you. All of these things that you enjoy in life are evidence of a God who gives good and perfect gifts. And if he gave you all those wonderful things, you better believe that he will see you through and see you across that finish line and put that crown on your head and you will have eternity to celebrate the goodness of God. Amen. We serve an awesome God. And one of the good things we get to enjoy today uh, is, Michelle, are you here today? Michelle, would you? I don't want to embarrass you, sweetie, but could you stand up for just a moment? Okay, everybody's seeing Michelle. I don't want to embarrass you. You can go ahead and sit back down. Thanks. Michelle's been in communication with our children's director, Christy, in recent months. And Michelle really, really, really wanted to get baptized today. And so here at Impact, we... We set up the baptistry the fourth Sunday of every month. But I want you to know, if you are ready to accept Christ and get baptized, I don't care if it's a Wednesday in the morning or a Thursday at 10 p.m., if you're ready to accept Christ, you reach out to us anytime, and we want to help with that decision. Michelle was wanting to get baptized today, so we didn't say, I'm sorry, you'll have to wait two weeks for the baptistry to be here at the school. We brought it today. So after the service, Michelle's going to be baptized and make it clear she's following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that is so awesome. Michelle, if you want to slip out and get changed and get ready, you can connect with Miss Christie right now. And you know where she is in back? You're over at the children's area, just down the hallway a little bit. Uh, Patty will show you. Patty's right behind you. And so after the service, so we're going to get to be out on the patio and, and celebrate with Michelle as she gets baptized. Uh, maybe you're going through some stuff right now and you need prayer. We want to pray for you over the next few minutes. Maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you need to get baptized like Michelle today. We're ready for you. Even if it's a spur-of-the-moment decision, we want to help with that today. Because whenever we come together in a group this size, we know that some of us are going through some stuff that's really, really hard. And our hearts go out to you. If we can come alongside you and pray with you for God's wisdom, if we can come alongside you and encourage you, we want to do that. Or if we can talk to you about connecting with Jesus Christ today, and know that as you go home today that you are saved. Know that whenever your life comes to an end, you're going to heaven. If we can help you with that decision today, we want to help you. So I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and I'm going to ask during this prayer time if some of you need prayer for certain things.
to raise your hand. And so please just with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, join me in this word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to be in this place and to refocus our thoughts. Lord, some, I imagine, came this morning and they were just so overwhelmed with the problems they're dealing with right now, so overwhelmed with the trials. And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you're giving us today to refocus our thoughts on you, looking up and asking for wisdom, looking forward and seeing that you are a God who will reward us as we persevere through our trials. And Lord, a God that can have our our head lifted up and look around to see the, the wonderful goodness of you in our lives. Thank you for all that you've done, O God. Help us to look up. Help us to look forward. Help us to look around and celebrate your goodness. Lord, I want to pray right now for those dealing with some relationship issues. If you are here today and your marriage is struggling or your relationship with your kids or your parents is struggling, your relationship maybe at work or at school is struggling, would you just lift your hand right now as our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed? I see those hands. I want to pray for you today. Anyone else? You know, with some relationship issues, I want to pray for you today. Amen. I see those hands. God, be with each one raising their hand right now. I pray that you would touch them in a way that only you can. Lord, I don't have insight into their specific relationship challenge, but you do. You know it inside and out, backward and forward. Lord, I pray that you would touch that relationship and bring healing. Bring healing, O God, in those human relationships between husbands and wives, between parents and their kids, between teenagers and their their parents. Lord, between workers and their bosses. Lord, bring healing to these relationships. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with some health issues. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's another family member. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a diagnosis that just scares you a bit. If you're dealing with some health issues, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. I see those hands. God bless you. Anyone else? Amen. I see those hands. Every section I'm seeing hands. We're going through some health issues. Lord, I pray for those dealing with issues. For some, they're out on disability and aren't able to go back to work full-time, Lord, because of some of these illnesses they have. Lord, some in this room are dealing with some mental health issues, Lord, with depression. Some are dealing with dementia. Lord, some are dealing with anxiety. Lord, some are dealing with other issues. We pray that you would move and bring healing to these individuals, Lord. Heal their bodies, heal their minds, heal their spirits in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that some here are dealing with financial issues. You just lift your hand if you're dealing with some financial issues. You say, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this month. Uh, I don't know. I had a call from a lady last week. She said, this is our last night in our apartment. I'm going to be homeless tomorrow. So she made her way over to the homeless shelter. But some are dealing with financial issues, and you don't know how you're going to make it through. I see those hands. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, I lift up those dealing with these financial challenges. Lord, would you help them? to align their decisions with the decisions you want for them with those finances. Lord, those that need to find work, I pray that you would open doors that have been closed in the past so they can find work. Those, Lord, that are getting a a delay in their, their checks that they are supposed to receive each month, I pray that those checks would come. Lord, those that are just needing some advice and counsel, I pray that they would reach out to maybe Peggy, our treasurer here at the church, Lord, who teaches our Financial Peace University class. Maybe reach out to me or someone else, Lord, to be able to get some guidance and getting those finances back in order. But, Lord, would you see them through and teach them to trust you in the process. 
And finally, if there's anyone here and you're not, you're not sure if you died today, you would go to heaven. You're not sure that you're right with God. Would you just raise your hand right now if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and know today that you're right with Him, that you've been forgiven, that you've been washed clean, that you are in Christ's family. Whenever your life ends, you'll be with Him. Just raise your hand if you need to make that decision today. I want to pray with you as well. Father, I pray for anyone here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be the day they say, Lord, I believe in you. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. I want to turn from them and have a fresh start following you, not just as the Savior of my sins, but as the Lord, the boss, the leader of my life. I want you to be my master, and I want you to be in the driver's seat from this point forward. I pray that they would reach out and take hold of you today and and put you in the driver's seat of their lives. And just like Michelle, Lord, I pray they'd make that decision to make it clear to God and the angels and anyone who's watching that they're following you, making it clear by being baptized in water, symbolically saying, my old life is dead and buried, and my new life in Christ is going to start today. Lord Jesus, I pray that those that need to make decisions today would, that those that need to be bold would be bold enough to pull someone aside and ask that question, how can I get right with God today? Lord, be with each person here, each need, each challenge, each trial. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Isn't God good?